Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into 104.3 The Fans Coffee Break. Andrew Mason, Rachel V. Hill hanging out with you as huge news dropped last night, late last night. The Broncos officially being sold to Rob Walton, approving NFL committee mace. So I want to get into what are the next steps that need to happen to make sure that this all goes through. Next step is uh, is going to the rest of the owners in the league and getting approval. You've got to have 24 out of 31 league owners approve a sale before it goes through formally. This is generally considered a formality, especially in this instance, because in the process of going through the quote-unquote auction these potential ownership groups were vetted. The Broncos were working with the league office, keeping the league office informed as to what was going on. So frankly, I don't expect any real hurdles going forward. So it's just a formality. And then dotting all the financial I's, crossing all the financial T's, uh, I would expect that uh, probably within the next uh, within the next six to eight weeks, it will be formalized that uh, Rob Walton, Greg Penner, Kerry Walton, Penner, and Melody Hobson will become the new ownership group controlling the Denver Broncos. Have you ever heard of the committee saying, mm, nope, you can't be, like become an owner? Not it, not in modern NFL times, no. And uh, and really, that, that structure is kind of the guardrail on this whole process. We knew, of course, that there was a fiduciary responsibility to tr- of the trust to get the maximum, the maximum bid, at least through the bit through the bidding process, as it were. Of course, there's that report that uh, the Josh Harris group would have been willing to go to five billion dollars, but didn't in their bid, and then did not keep pushing uh, for reasons that involve being basically a preferred ca- candidate group for a team that comes forward in the future. So, because of that, in theory, if you didn't have the guardrail of NFL owner approval. It could have been like a Premier League sale. We've seen, for example, Newcastle United in the Premier League bought by a group uh, that it has connections to the Saudi government. We've seen uh, for Manchester City owned by um, one of the one of the royal families, essentially of uh, of Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. And you know, certainly there are human rights questions galore with some of those uh, groups that have bought into the Premier League. But there's no guardrail. Uh, of the other Premier League owners being able to say, okay, we we don't approve we don't approve of that. The only guardrail is literally the UK government, which of course recently forced out Roman Abramovich at Chelsea, which had a Broncos connection because Todd Bowley was part of a group bidding for the Broncos, and his group got got Chelsea as a result of that. So that guardrail, twenty four out of thirty one approval, really kind of allow allowed for a certain amount of regulation that insured an owner that an ownership group that should sail through right on down to the fact that by having Melody Hobson involved with the group, you got a minority in the ownership group. Uh, she is the first, she is the first black chairperson, f- black female chairperson of an S and P 500, 500 company because she is the current chair of Starbucks. And so a minority representation was a big deal to the league. Roger Goodell made that clear back at the league meetings in March. Joe Ellis expressed then his desire for the ownership group to have minority representation, and they appear to have succeeded in that. We're going to get into a lot of Melody talk, too, because, yeah, I kind of want to dive into how she is so involved because she's kind of all over the place. 
But let's first talk about the Josh Harris like coming out saying, oh, we would have gone for $5 billion. My first question, is there any NFL team that's even close to being sold that they could go for in the upcoming years that you know about? And two, why don't you try and push to get the Broncos? Good. The second question, that's a good, that is a good question. Why mm-hmm. didn't they make that, that, that push there? That's something that I don't quite know the answer to. I mean, again, this, the way the trust was set up, it was simply going to be the highest bidder most likely to be approved unless it's on the back through the back channels. And we know Joe Ellis and Roger Goodell, they're close. They go back uh, basically four decades. Uh, Joe Ellis worked at the league office back in, in the mid to late 1980s. Uh, they, he and Goodell have known each other for some time. So they were de- there was definitely a lot of kind of keeping in the loop. So perhaps it was the knowledge that, okay, Rob Walton and his group, they want to get into the NFL at some point. They have a Colorado connection here, or multiple Colorado connections, I should say, that this appears to be kind of a more logical arrangement. So who comes next for the NFL? Well, the obvious answer would be Washington because <laughs> of everything going on and the rumblings that there are enough, that there are close to enough votes from other owners to force Daniel Snyder to sell that team. The hitch in that, though, is that the common belief, at least kind of the, the word or the word around the campfire down at the uh, league meetings in Palm Beach back in late March, was that if and if Washington got sold, that was going to be most likely going to Jeff Bezos, who of course hey, is of Amazon fame. Mm-hmm. He's based in he, Seattle, but he also has a significant base of operations in Washington, in the Washington area. That's where Amazon's HQ2 is. He owns the Washington Post, of course, right there in D.C. So the thought was if Washington was sold, that Jeff Bezos would considered would be considered to be the person they want. But Seattle's also worth noting as well. Right now, they are in the hands of the Paul Allen Trust. This will be going into their fourth year of stewardship, Joe, Jody Allen, Paul Allen's sister, is currently uh, administering that and uh, uh, is considered the owner for uh, for league purposes. But at some, but does the trust cash out and sell the Seahawks? That trust is worth twenty billion dollars, by the way. So they have the financial wherewithal to hold on to that indefinitely. The question is, does the NFL want to? Is the NFL okay with the Seahawks remaining in that trust, or do they want to sell? Because if that happens, then maybe Jeff Bezos says, "I'd rather be back in Seattle." And then Washington opens up to somebody, uh, to somebody like the Josh Harris and the Josh Harris group. Of course, the thing with Josh Harris as well is the interests of his group are fairly far flung. New Jersey Devils, Philadelphia 76ers, Crystal Palace in the Premier League. You're talking about three different markets that they're in in Washington uh, uh, would would be a fourth. But uh, the thing is, we don't, you know, there's not really clarity on London on a future team just yet. Maybe that would be actually be the play for Josh Harris, though, is uh, a London team uh, coming into the league at some point because those rumblings uh, appear to be getting stronger. Oh, interesting. Something I had not heard of. So Well, that's one of the reasons why they're going to Frankfurt to play a game this year, Rachel, is because okay. they want if, – if a team overseas is going to work, it can't be alone. You have to have two teams mm-hmm. because teams traveling – so like if the Broncos got the, the, the card in the schedule that said, okay, you're going to have to go play a couple of games in Europe, you'd play a two-game swing, one in London, one in Frankfurt. So playing a game in Munich or – 
as they are this year, this is part of kind of a first test of the viability of another market, which down the line could lead to a pair of uh, of European teams. Believe it or not, Rachel, the NFL has not expanded in twenty year, in twenty years, which is actually pretty unusual. Usually, uh, they've added teams at a a reasonably healthy clip. Thirty two is a great number. Everybody acknowledges that, but. Uh, Certainly the league would work with 36 or even 40. So long-term, keep your, your eye on that. I think Josh Harris will be in the mix for an NFL team at some point, though, whether it's in London or somewhere over on this side of the Atlantic. Very interesting. I would love to hear what everyone thinks about a possibility of teams over in Europe. So please let us know in the comments. Maze, what's your take on that? Do you like it? Do you not like it? It's something that I accept as an inevitability. Um, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine with it. I, I think it's great the Broncos are playing a game in London this year. It's exciting. It's exciting for the fan base. It's, it's exciting for the team. And if you're the, all businesses are always looking for expansion, right? Mm-hmm. There are no new worlds to conquer, basically, in the United States for the NFL. Uh, it's it's a huge business, but there's not much more that they can squeeze out of this, not much more juice in the, in the fruit. So you have to go looking elsewhere. Of course, there's the game in Mexico city this year. The league is playing, has played games in the past in Toronto. I think the NFL at some point would love to have a couple of teams in Europe, one in Toronto, one in Mexico city. It's just an issue of viability of them. And uh, for example, uh, in Toronto, it'd be a, a facility issue as well, because, uh, the Rogers center is actually 33 years old. Um, and then in Mexico, it's an issue of kind of the economic parity uh, between the peso and the dollar. They make it, they've made it work for one game a year here and there. Is it something that they could make work for a full schedule? That's probably further down the line. I would imagine that Europe, that Europe uh, is first. And then even some, uh, some domestic expansion may be a, a part of it as well. So very long-term watch it kind of over the next, five, 10, even 20 years. Uh, but I think uh, we'll, we'll see the NFL uh, expanding its ranks uh, at, at some point intermittently over time. Well, we have Simon who says, great idea. London would be a major market and the NFL, like the Premier League, is a global sensation. Mm-hmm. So Mace, we love having you on because I feel like every single time you're on, I learn something new. So thank you so much because that was something I didn't even connect two and two, two of obviously they're going over there. They're doing more international games. So why not add those markets in later on down the couple years? And admittedly, I didn't even think about Josh Harris and London yeah. until we had this conversation, but you're thinking, okay, well, you know, he's already in that market and with, with crystal palace. Um, and of course you've got Shad Khan of the Jaguars who owns Fulham, but he owns the Jaguars. And the interesting thing with the Jaguars for a long time, everyone thought, Oh, they'll go to London, but, they're doubling down on Jacksonville. They're building a huge new development adjacent to their stadium, uh, not far from downtown Jacksonville. So they appear pretty set on making it work in North Florida. Okay, we got another comment that says, when and where will the new stadium move now that the Waltons are buying this Broncos team? Too early to tell. That I, I I wish I had a firmer answer on that, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't. I, I right now, probably probably item one that the, that this ownership group can focus upon, leaving the football part to the football people, is making a decision on the stadium. Whether it's more prudent to renovate Empower Field 
or they choose to build. Now, in recent in re, in recent sports, we've had a couple of examples of two different decisions. In Nashville, for example, the Titans in the state of Tennessee, they're going to build a new stadium to replace Nissan Stadium. According to the numbers that uh, were put out there, renovation of Nissan Stadium would have cost $900 million, and there would have been an estimate of another $900 million of upkeep to make the stadium viable for another uh, 15 to 20 years. I'm, I kind of question the upkeep number that, that, that was put in there, but that's what, was put, that's what was put out. Building a new stadium with a roof, was estimated to cost $1.9, $2.2 billion. So you take the $900 million plus $900 million they were throwing out there, $1.8 billion versus $1.9, $2.2 billion to build a new stadium. They chose the new stadium. It's going to be fine. The Titans putting in part of it, the rest of it coming from a, a tourist, a, a lodging tax. I, I believe it is exactly out there in Nashville. So when you go out there and stay in a hotel room, have a good time in Nashville, you're going to be paying for the new Dome Stadium uh, to, to come out there. So that's one option. The other choice, something we saw recently with the Toronto Blue Jays in Rogers Center. I mentioned that earlier because the NFL has played some games there. It's a 33-year-old stadium. You may know it as the Sky Dome from back in the day. Mm-hmm. And the Jays and Toronto chose to renovate it, figuring they could get 10 to 15 years more life out of it before deciding whether to go on into another venue. So it's just a question of, of how... Walt, how Rob Walton, the Penners, Melody Hobson, how they look at this and they say, what is the better play here? If I were betting on a possibility racial, I'd bet on a new stadium. I'm not sure if it'll be on the current uh, on the current footprint uh, built kind of like where they built Empower Field next to Mile High because the Broncos do have development rights south uh, in the south lot of that current stadium or if it ends up being something where they want more land and they and likely end up building uh, out toward uh, t- toward the airport and purchasing some land. Maybe they end up out near the, the Gaylord Hotel uh, that, that was just built in the last few years. So that's some that's the first thing they're going to have to have to answer. If they look at the renovation costs and they see a number like, OK, it's 500 or 600 million to get this thing uh, up to where we want it. I have a feeling that they'll they'll opt for a new facility. Two questions on this, Mace. You're just dropping a whole bunch to me right now, and I'm loving it. First one: Do you anticipate the roof or the new stadium having a roof that way that they could host a Super Bowl? You know, host other events with it. But two, we give a lot of crap, I guess I could say, to Dick Sporting Goods Park because it's not in the city, and we say like more fans would go. So if the Broncos would move the facility, I know Bronco fans are diehard; they'll go out wherever it is. But does that kind of you know, play devil's advocate with what we're talking about for the Rapids. It, it does a little bit, yes. And uh, now, one thing with NFL stadiums and NFL teams, the games being relatively infrequent, they're either on a, mostly on Sundays, occasionally the Monday or Thursday night. Uh, we've seen that you can put a stadium in basically the middle of nowhere, and people will come. I mean, take Foxborough, Massachusetts, for for, for example. It's 30 miles from Providence. It's 30 minutes from Providence. It's about 35 minutes from Boston. It's basically, it, it's off US 1. It's in the middle of the woods. And they have, and they, and they've been out there since 1971. Now, they used to have problems getting people out there when the team wasn't very good. Once the team got good, all of a sudden, it, it, the only issue was getting people in and out 
on Sundays because at one point there was only one road in or out that was US one. Now there's a back way that you can that you can get there, but st- but they figured that out. Kansas City, it's Arrowhead's in the middle of the parking lot and pretty well east of downtown. It's not, you know, it's not near anything. Football stadiums can be just surrounded by parking and, mm-hmm. and, and development and be away from the city center and be pretty viable. Other sports, it just seems like you want to be closer to the city center because of the frequency of events. Like, I, I don't think the Nuggets would, and, and Avs would want to be at an arena out by out, out by Dick's Sporting Goods Park. A lot of people that work down, a lot of people that work downtown, turn around, put on their jersey, and go to the games. That's a lot harder for the people to do. And then you don't have public transit. There are there are pluses and 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 ne- and minuses to each option. A football team can probably work uh, based outside of the city center. I'm not sure that Stan Kroenke wants to go building a new arena in, in Commerce City. And certainly, you mentioned the Rapids. I mean, that's that's a, that's mm-hmm. a sport where you really do want to be near viable public transit. And certainly, it hurts the Rapids that they're out there, that they're out there in Commerce City. But that that could well be the future because one thing to be determined, Rachel, is uh, how much uh, do Kroenke do, do Kroenke and the Walton Group work together? Rob Walton and Ann Kroenke, Stan's wife. They are cousins. Uh, Ann mm-hmm. Walton is the, is the daughter of Bu- of the late Bud Walton. Rob Walton, the son of the late Sam Walton. Do they end? Do they end up? There's there's the Walton family tree. There. Do they end up coming together? Uh, do they even look at their at their plots downtown uh, mm-hmm. on each side of I twenty five and say, yeah, maybe we can work together and create some kind of. Uh, of, of sports city sports develop that it's anchored around an arena on one side of the highway and a stadium on the other side. I mean, there are a lot of possibilities in play. We can only kind of speculate on it, but uh, one way or another, it, it, whether it's a massively renovated stadium or a new stadium, there's, there's some change coming here uh, to the Broncos. I mean, we don't even know yet uh, what, what Stan Kroenke wants to do with the river mile development on the Elish gardens uh, property, of course, because Elish is still there. So there's, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot to be determined. What also is very interesting is Stan Kroenke yesterday. They announced that they are, it's, I don't remember the exact number. You may remember Mace, but a huge development in Los Angeles for the Rams. Right. And that's that. And and then that of course is part of their facility. Mm -hmm. Stan Kroenke and his group bought a tract that on which a mall used to stand in Woodland Hills, California for 150 million. Now they've spent 175 million for the tract of land across the street. So the, the pieces are in place for development. And that's also interesting for the, for the Broncos because one thing, and this is just me spitballing here, but the Broncos and this transfers to, to Rob Walton and company. Broncos have that right to develop the land south of the current stadium. Do they look at how things are going in Los Angeles where you've got the stadium and all that development in one area, and then you have the facility and all that development in another area and say, maybe we're going to have two developments here. Maybe we build on the land where the stadium is now and develop that and have another development around a Bronco facility that hosts training camps. In the NFL, we've seen that in Dallas. You have, of course, Jerry World in Arlington, but a few years ago they built the Star all the way out in Frisco, which has a hotel, which has shops, which has restaurants, and the centerpiece of it is a 12,000-seat covered stadium that hosts Cowboys practices, high school football games, even college basketball tournaments. So 
that there's a lot, it, it may, this may actually be multiple developments yeah. that Rob Walton and this ownership group uh, ends up, ends up focusing on. And, and that, that's another, another layer to this is what happens uh, with Dove Valley and the facility, although it's a perfectly viable facility, as I was mm-hmm. discussing with Chad Brown and Nate Jackson uh, this morning on Chad and Nate, you know, there are some issues, fundamental issues with that, they haven't been able to get past. It's not a large locker room in there, for example. And uh, does it? And, and certainly, while you can get people sitting on the on the hillside for camp, it's not a great experience. You're you're ba- you're basically baking in the sun because mm-hmm. that face is east, where the sun is shining down on you. There's no shade. And then you go look around at some of these other things that are being built. Dallas, of course, has a roof on on theirs. Uh, the Miami, the, the Miami Dolphins at their trading facility have, uh, which is adjacent to their stadium. Uh, they have some covered stands for fans uh, to sit in the bucks at their in, even their indoor facility. The bucks have about 3000 bleachers where when practice gets bumped inside because of thunderstorms, fans can go and watch. And that's something that Fieldhouse doesn't have. So there are, you can already start looking around the NFL at facilities and see I could see why that uh, this group may say, all right, we're going to build a new day-to-day training facility Mm -hmm. as well as potentially a new stadium. This could be a huge capital investment. It's nice to have deep pockets like the Walton family does and even the Cronkies. We can't count them out there either. But let's get into Melody Hobson or Hobson, excuse me. Who is she? We know she works with Chase. We know she works with Starbucks. She's the co-CEO and president of Ariel. Mm -hmm. I I know I'm going to mess this one up. Yeah, you you got it all. You got it all. She's been with, she's been with Ariel for uh, for a long time as well. Like what's the oh, it's Ariel? What though? That's the word I'm looking for. Um, okay. That's an F. Uh, funding. I I I don't have it in front of me here. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. something something yeah. around those lines. But yeah, but she's I, she's all over the place. She's a corporate titan. Is is who and what she is, and um, and and just the the layers of accomplishment she has and involvement, especially uh, being involved with J.P. Morgan Chase and now uh, being the chair of Starbucks, are significant. And then, of course, uh, on the personal side, she married George Lucas, who um, Ariel Investments, Jake Shapiro checks in. So there you go, Ariel Investments. Yes, is what it is. So he, so she, she's extremely successful in her own right, mm-hmm. and she married a literal billionaire <laughs> in George Lucas, because when he sold Lucasfilm to Disney 10 years ago, it was for 4.05 billion, half in Disney stock, half in cash. So between her success and, and, and George Lucas, it's not hard to see where, you know, how, how she, how she got involved with this. I like having her in, not just because it satisfied the league goal and the Joe Ellis goal mm-hmm. of having minority investment in the group, but she is an incredibly successful business person in her own right, but she comes from out of the Walmart Walton sphere. Mm-hmm. So here's somebody who had, who can have a little bit of a different spin on things, a different perspective because she's a part of some different businesses and having her at the table I think we'll bring some from some different ideas and keep things kind of a dynamic because certainly with, with the Walton group, with the institutional knowledge from the other side of the Walton family that own that uh, of course owns the nuggets, rapids, abs, Rams, arsenal, all that. It'd be easy to kind of get in, into, into some certain, into some patterns and kind of have a little bit of group think 
Well, now you have somebody who ha- who is a little bit more of an outsider with different bi- a different kind of business background, different perspectives, and even a creative perspective uh, that she can bring in uh, through her, her her relationship with George Lucas. So it's I think she is kind of the secret weapon of this group that I think makes it in a good way hard to simply predict it's going to be A, B, C because she's going to bring some different ideas to, to the table. And so it's exciting that it's exciting. I think for this group to have her involved with it. The one thing that we don't know just yet is what is her exact percentage? Because certainly uh, with, you know, with, with the wealth to which she has access, I'd imagine it's a not insignificant percentage. I don't think we're talking about just a 1% type of thing of investment here from Melody Hobbs. And I think it's probably more than that. You know, Rob Walton included her in his, um, his quote that the Broncos put out yesterday, but I do want to point out too, he kind of like thank you quote that he put out with that saying, you know, we're really excited to be a part of this. We're thrilled to be selected to move forward with the purchase of the Denver Broncos. Carrie, Greg and I are inspired by the opportunity to steward this great organization in a vibrant community full of opportunity and passionate fans. Having lived and worked in Colorado, we always admired the Broncos and our enthusiasm with the staff, the fan base, the coaches and everything like that. That's great to see. But I want to ask you, Mace, do you think he really wrote that entire statement or do you think he had somebody else who kind of put it all together? I think he had an idea in which direction it wanted to go. And then there were experts involved. If you are a business person at that level, you've got communications people. And, oh, you've got the Broncos communications people as well involved with it. And then – they craft the statement and ultimately like you can, you can have some wording. I mean, I'll just give my own example. When I started uh, with uh, 104.3 and uh, denverfan.com last month, I there, you know, of course there uh, was a press release uh, put out and um, you know, I, I, I basically, you know, the people that are better than me at writing these things out kind of uh, had some they ideas. Guide you. Guide me. And I, I made a few, and I made a few tweaks here, here, not too, not too many because, uh, there, in terms of messaging, there are people who really know well, kind of what, you, what you want to get across, and and you sit there and like, oh wow, this is really great. And I just I, there, I think there was literally one word that I changed in the end, and, and that and that was it. But uh, you know, that's if, if it works that way for me, I know it works that way when you get to the, when you get to the Rob Walton, Greg Penner, Melody Hobson level. They've 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 got people. Now the question I think beyond that is, I say they've got people in this. What people are they going to want involved with the Broncos? Because sometimes what we see when teams are purchased is that you know you've got obviously very capable, very successful uh, exec- executives at high levels with these teams. But sometimes the owner, owner or owners will say, I- "I've got my own person that I want to be the CFO. I've got my own person that I want to be uh, in, in charge of uh, organizational communications. Uh, yada 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 yada. It works differently uh, with each team that gets uh, that gets taken over. Like for example, uh, the most recent sale before this, Carolina Panthers. Um, David Tepper buys the team in twenty in twenty eighteen, and he he sort of took his time. Now. There were a few executives that changed right away in some spots, like the uh, the C the CEO, for example, was changed pretty quickly, and but he kind of sat back, evaluated some. For example, their uh, their their person in charge of uh, of PR and communications 
is somebody who's been with the organization going back uh, nearly about 20 years or so. So you kind of so, so it'll be curious to see if this group brings in their own people or sits back and kind of observes and says, okay, who do we want going forward? Who or where do we want to make changes? And that's the kind of thing that we may say play itself out over a year, two years, even three years. In Carolina, for example, they didn't make any football operations changes until the middle of Dave, David Tepper's second year when they moved on from Ron Rivera, the head coach, and then a few months later moved on from Marty Herney, the general manager. So it'll be fascinating to see kind of if he sits back and observes or makes some immediate changes. My guess, based on the timing of this relatively close to the season and also best practices of some successful transitions, including Pat Bowen in 1984 buying the Broncos, is that he will probably largely sit back and observe for a little bit. Okay, so that also leads to a lot of questions. We know Joella said that kind of once this was all over with, he was going to take a greater step back too. So do you anticipate him? He said, I've enjoyed getting to know Rob Walton, Carrie Walton-Penner, and Greg Penner throughout the process, learning more about their background and vision for the Denver Broncos. I'm confident that the leadership and support will help this team achieve great things on and off the field. Lengthy statement there. You can check it all out on denverfan.com. But do you think he's truly going to take a big step away? We heard the same from John Elway that he was going to, and now he's out at minicamp and everything else too, now that Russell Wilson's in town. Yeah, I think Joe will take a, a big step away. That's that's kind of been part of the plan all along that uh, the baton get the baton gets handed off, and when you have a new president and CEO, and the indications are that 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 layer of responsibility will be with Greg Penner and Kerry Walton Penner, there won't be a role for Joe Ellis at that point, and so he'll 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 move on and. He talked a little bit uh, a few months ago at the league meetings, uh, kind of wistfully, but uh, even a little bit excitedly about uh, uh, just staying in Denver, uh, having having some tickets and being a fan in the stands who got angry and screamed and hollered just like just like everybody else. I think I think Joe is ready uh, for this transition, but he wanted to see this out. He Joe felt a very strong obligation to Pat Bowen to see this through to its conclusion. And now we are at the conclusion. I think he's ready uh, to, to, to move on to the next, the next phase of his life. And frankly, the next phase of his, uh, his enthusiasm, his enthusiasm for the Broncos, but it'll be fascinating to see what happens at kind of the other layers of, of, of management. And uh, I mean, I, I would think for example, that uh, at least in the short term, George Payton and Nathaniel Hackett are secure, but, we don't know how they're going to view things. We that that's the thing. A lot of it is we don't know, Rachel. Like, if what if they go eight and nine? Yeah. How what will the reaction be to that? Will it be patience and prudence, or will there be a little bit of an of, of an overreaction? We, mm-hmm. you know, you, you knock on wood that you're not getting Dan Snyder here, and I don't think you're getting dance a Dan mm-hmm. Snyder type but we're not going to know a hundred percent. We're all guessing. And I think we're all optimistic because of the resources uh, that, that, that they, that they have and the business experience that they have, but we don't know what's going to happen until they get in and they show their, they show their cards and they show their style of, ma- of, of management. I would guess it'll be prudent, but again, I mean, if you, if you go eight, nine and miss the playoffs, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that may not, that may not be what you paid $4.65 billion for. 
Yeah, you're definitely not right. Another name that's been popping up, though, to possibly be involved or has been involved in conversations to be involved with the team is Peyton Manning. Have you heard any more details on this? Is this something that could actually happen or is it more just headlines being put out there at this point? I think it's something that could happen, but maybe it's it's not something that comes into place immediately. Maybe this is something that hap- that happens as the sale, as the actual official sale gets closer or even down the line. But it's a question of level of involvement. If the day-to-day administration of the team is going to be in the hands of Greg Penner and Kerry Walton Penner, and then you say, okay, where does Peyton fit in? Is he just somebody who has a one or 2% share of the team, but it's very kind of a silent partner perhaps because it would seem that there isn't room in that structure for Peyton Manning to kind of run everything, at at least uh, kind of based on where things are headed, that there's no reason to push George Peyton out on the football side, for example, with the job that he, that he's doing. And of course, again, like I said, if you have a bad season and you have an impetuous owners, who knows? But I think if he buys in, it does allow him to kind of get his toe into the NFL waters. And we have seen examples of people who had minority stakes in NFL teams eventually buying majority stakes in others. I met David Tepper in Carolina was a minority stakeholder in the Pittsburgh Steelers and then bought the Panthers. One advantage of that is you've already been vetted, so it kind of smooths out the process a little bit of buying of buying another team. But with this, with with the Walton family and the Penner family involved, I could see Peyton Manning involved, but I'm not sure I see him ever being kind of the president of operations on a day-to-day basis because all indications are that the Penners are going to be actively involved in the day-to-day. Okay. And Mace, I want to end the show because – the whole story of the Pat Bullen situation and the selling, it can be a little confusing if you're not paying attention to it every single day. So I know some people have questions. Can you briefly lay out exactly how, what ended up happening for the Bullen trust to be put to the Walton family? Okay. Well, I mean, obviously start with, with uh, Pat Bullen having, mm-hmm. having Alzheimer's disease, stepping away in 2014. That's when the Pat Bullen trust assumed control of, of the team. And, Basically, it was status quo until Pat Bowen died in 2019. At that point, that was when it was, okay, we've got to start having a plan here. And that's when it coalesced around Brittany Bowen, who, of course, is uh, one of the five children who uh, was a product of Pat Bowen's uh, marriage to Annabelle Bowen, which was Pat Bowen's second, second marriage. Two child, two daughters from the first marriage, which was sort of a bone of contention because Beth Bowen Wallace did work for the team, uh, but then uh, was was let was let go at, back in 2015, a few years before Brittany Bowen came on full time. Joe Ellis said late in 2019 that that that, it, that there was a need for the family to coalesce around Brittany Bowen as the managing partner if the team was going to stay in the Bowen family Mm -hmm. that didn't happen in that time. And so even though Brittany Bowen has worked for the team on a, on an executive basis now for the, for uh, nearly three years without the family coalescing around her uh, and the other siblings agreeing to her being the managing partner 
with an 11% stake. All the bowling children have an 11% stake in the team. Without that, it, the, the team was going to, was going to be put up for sale. They could never agree. They could never agree on, on that. And that, and that's what led to the sale. And because the Pat Bowen trust was administering the sale, not the Bowen family, as it were, the trust was operating according to the legal dictates uh, set in its establishment, which included a fiduciary responsibility to get the highest bid that was going to be approved by the other 31 NFL owners. And so uh, that, that's why you couldn't have just anybody come in and buy the team. It, was, it had to be a, a bid that was approved. But that's why you had this process of sealed bids coming into the Broncos, the second round of bids on Monday. And ultimately, it was, uh, it was Rob Walton. That, that took the day. So that that's that's kind of the that's the short version of how we got of how we got here. Um, you know, there there are a lot of people who I think are going in Broncos country who are sad at the loss of the Bolin family running the team because of what Pat Bolin meant to this franchise. But um, uh, things just things just didn't didn't work out. Uh, obviously, Pat getting Alzheimer's certainly uh, uh, played played a, a sad and a huge role in this unfortunately. And, uh, and, and that's, and that's where they are. I think uh, a lot of people wish it had not come to this, but as the cliche goes, it is what it is. It is what it is. And although maybe some of the members of the Bolin family didn't want this to happen, but they will be getting a nice paycheck from the Walton family for each kid. How much will each kid get? Pre-tax. I would, I estimated at $511 million per bowling child and John Bolin, the brother of Pat Bolin, mm-hmm. owns 22% of the team. His check will be just north of $1 billion. My wow. goodness. Definitely a paycheck right yeah. there. Well, Mace, as always, thank you so much for hanging out with me this morning. I learned so much <laughs> in these past 30 minutes. I appreciate all the details and explanations of everything. Thank you. My pleasure, Rachel. Take care. All right, everybody, tomorrow we're going to get into what you can buy for $4.65 billion. DMAC will be back with me again. We're going to be hanging out, bringing you all the things in the headlines. So make sure you come hang out with us 1030 a.m. right here on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. See everybody tomorrow morning.